You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. It's good. It's good to be here. Uh, my name is Blair. I'm, I'm thankful to be here. And like I said, I'm thankful that you are here as well. Um, we're going to get on with the message, part of, of our uh, service today. And um, we'll be continuing in our current sermon series, which is Living Hope. It's a sermon series through First and Second Peter, New Testament letters. We're still at the beginning of uh, First Peter. Um, if you've been with us for the past few weeks, the past few passages in First Peter, um, I hope you found them encouraging. You also may have found uh, the content of what Peter says uh, to be kind of theological. It's, it's uh, sort of based on the correct beliefs that Christians uh, can and should have, the things that we are to know and believe as we follow Christ. And so they've been heavy on the theology, and it's been really good. And, uh, but Peter kind of shifts gears a little bit from here and for quite some time through the rest of his, his letter in that uh, his, he's no, not so much focused any longer on the theology of Christ and, and so on, but uh, he begins to share with us uh, some of the application, right? What, what it looks like to apply the things that he's teaching us. Um, and this is good. I don't know about you guys, but I... I truly believe that uh, theology is valuable, uh, very, very valuable. But if it does not uh, compel us or provide us with a way to um, be changed and and actually live some of the things that we've learned, that um, it's actually not as not not nearly as valuable, right? Like if we learn and we fill our heads with these things, that's fine. Uh, but if we're not changed to actually use the things that uh, we've been provided with and learn, uh, or sorry, and walk with the things that we've learned, then I think we fall short of God's will and the whole purpose behind uh, why we should be learning and teaching these things in the first place. So it's going to be good as, as Peter takes us there. But before I read uh, the passage, um, talking about applying theology, I was reminded this week of one of my favorite illustrations of doing this, um, it comes from Francis Chan, and I don't know if I saw it at a community group or on, or on the internet. I've seen it a couple times, but um, I'll just use myself as the actor in the illustration to make it less confusing. But uh, it's, it's Chan's story where um, he has children, and, and the idea is um, he notices that his, uh, uh, his, his daughter's room is messy, okay? So... So for me, if, if Sayla's room was a mess, she's getting to the age where we're trying to teach her, you know, how to take care of things and be tidy and all that. So um, if I if I notice this, I would say to her, um, Sayla, your room is, is super messy. It'd be great if you could go and, and tidy it up for a little bit, you know, make it more clean. And uh, hopefully she would, she would say, okay, and run off into her room and, and uh, spend some time in there. Um, now, if the time had passed and, and she came out, uh, I would say to her, oh, hi, sweetie, uh, so how's your room doing? You know, is it, is it clean? Did you tidy it up? Um, if she said to me, technically, and she does say technically all the time now, which is uh, really, really, really funny. She's only three, but she says technically. Um, technically, no, <laughs> I didn't. 
But I did think about it a lot, and I talked about it to myself or to Jasper. I talked about it. Um, I considered some of the possible outcomes and you know, hypothetical situations where I would clean my room. I can even tell you how, how to say it in a different language, clean your room. So that's great. <laughs> if she said this to me as her dad, um, say the least, well, I might be impressed in certain ways, but mostly I would be disappointed, right? I would be disappointed in her uh, lack of real obedience to what I asked her uh, to do. Now, the, the obvious uh, illustration, of course, is to point out how we fall quite short of the will of our Heavenly Father and the things that he's asked us to do in his word when we spend all of our time and energy hypothesizing, um, and, you know, just not actually trying it, doing it, uh, getting out there and living it. We fall short, and um, it's not what he's... It's not even what he's asked us to necessarily do in the first place. So um, we'll return to that idea a little bit later. But for now, let's, let's read the passage. If you'd like, you can find it in your Bibles in 1 Peter chapter 1. Um, <clears throat> if you do have a Bible, keep it open as, as I talk because there's going to be other verses I'm referencing. But, you know... As we go through the, the main passage, we'll kind of be walking through this one from First Peter. First Peter 1, reading 13 to 21, quite a few verses. Uh, it's Peter talking. He says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the times of your exile knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead, and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning and I ask you uh, to move us to a place where we are compelled and driven to live the way that you would have us live, God. Uh, show us in, in each of our own unique ways what this looks like, the things that perhaps we need to change or the things that we need to keep going in in order to do this and apply what we've learned God, make us more like Jesus as we're guided by your Spirit. Thank you for this. Thank you for being with us even here and now. We love you and we worship you and we adore you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> okay. So Peter begins with, therefore, in verse 13. He says, therefore, 
which again uh, shows us that the things that he's going to say now are a result of the things that he has said before this. Okay? Um, so this is about uh, applying what's being said. He, he calls us to prepare our minds for action, right? Prepare your minds for action and be ready to go. When I heard this, it reminded me of of a race. I don't know if um, any of you have been to or participated in a race of any kind, uh, but imagine a running race. Um, Moonlight Run, they do it over there at the Casa building, and there's like, I don't know, 2,000 people or something. It's like tons and tons of people go do this run every year. And so you show up and you try and find a place to park, and then you get out, um, and there's, there's usually at races, there's an MC. You can never actually really hear what they're saying because they have like a puny sound system and the mic is feeding back and it's like just terrible. But the idea is that the MC at a race um, is there to direct people and more specifically to let you know um, that the race is approaching, right? That the start of the race will, will be happening in 20 minutes. And then they'll say, this, the race is going to start in 10 minutes. The race is going to start in 5 minutes, you know, and so on. And uh, as, the, as the person is sharing this information with you at the race, what is the smart thing uh, to do? So that when he says 5 minutes, 1 minute, whatever, are you going to be caught standing unprepared in your uh, uh, skate shoes and your jeans, and, and you don't know where to put your bag, or you haven't eaten your banana and drank your water yet, or any of that. No. They, they tell you leading up to the beginning of the race, the firing of the gun, so that you have the time to, to do the things you know you need to do. Uh, whatever it is, you know, go pee. <laughs> Focus and be ready, because there's, there's only five minutes, and then the race is going to start. You know, find your position and all that. This is what Peter's telling us to do with our lives when he says, be sober-minded and prepared, be focused. He says, Jesus will be revealed to us fully someday. So don't be spending your time pursuing things that distract you from that fact or things that will take you off track or, or things that would cause you to be um, surprised and unprepared right, for when Jesus does return. Be sober-minded and set your sights on the grace that brought you this far and the grace that will see you through to the end. Um, I read a paraphrase in, in a commentary for verse 13, which I found actually very useful. Apparently, this uh, verse 13 is one which, translated to English, is uh, um, quite simplified. And so this uh, particular scholar has a very... Uh, wordy version that he paraphrased as a translation of verse 13. And I wanted to share it with you um, just to give, to kind of show you a more panoramic view of what Peter is saying. So this is a paraphrase of 13 saying this. First, gird up your minds. Get ready to think on God's work and obey him at once. Then, while continuing to be spiritually alert, so it's not a one-time thing where we just... I uh, think we've, you know, arrived and then we sit around and wait. But continuing to be spiritually alert, begin to expect eagerly and confidently that you will receive from God great blessing when Christ returns. Okay? So hopefully that makes sense. 
Okay, so now we're thinking, great, how do we do this? What would this look like? Well, I'm so glad you asked, <laughs> because Peter uh, continues on to explain and show us what this, what this can mean. The first step, he says, is to obey God as obedient children. Obey God as obedient children, not as children kicking and screaming, children making excuses or complaining all the way or finding ways to trick their siblings into doing it for them or any of this. He just says, obey God like obedient children. Obey. Keep it simple. Just obey. So back to the cleaning the room thing. When I tell, if I tell my kids to clean their room, um, it would be ideal if they did that, right? If they obeyed me and followed through. Oh, maybe someday. I can only. That, that's the dream, right? As a parent, um, they're learning. Um, not to not to ignore my instruction or to find a way to, like I said, to hypothetically clean their room or anything like that. Just to clean it and to obey. Um, and it's okay if they come to me and ask questions or for, ask for help or anything like that. That's fine. Um, but when I ask my kids to do something like that, it's because I have their best interest in mind, right? Um, if you've ever been in a, a, a kid's room, which you have because you were once a kid, um, you may remember or know that uh, it can get, like, dangerous, like anybody who steps foot into that room is at risk of serious injury or dying because of the mess. And so do I ask my kids to clean their room because I just don't want them to have fun or do anything that they enjoy? Of course not. It's for their own good. The same goes for uh, wearing your seatbelt, eating your vegetables, going to school and doing your homework, you know, all of these things. Parents who have the ability to provide these things for their kids, they do them because they love their children, right? And they want to see them um, safe and, and ready to be in the world and succeed in all these things. Um, it's loving care. And if I, who am sinful, know how to give good things to my children, how much better things will our Heavenly Father give to us as we follow His will, right? So this is a reason that we should respond with obedience and trust knowing that God is holy. Peter says he's holy. And this means that uh, he's perfect. And by default, that, that means that his will for us is also perfect. Okay? No matter where it leads us, in this temporary, in this temporary life, right? Even if it causes us uh, to make changes or to feel uncomfortable or even to go through um, various hardships, Right? God's will for us in the end will be good. The best life that we can have. right? Not necessarily the easiest one, of course, but the best life. The one that we were made for all along is the life which God is calling us to. Um, this part of the passage also reminded me of, uh, as we move along, of Romans 12. Peter talks about us not falling back into our sinful passions, right? Being driven by uh, futile things. And in, in Romans 12, Paul says this. You may have heard this before. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, right? And that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
So this is part of us obeying and following through with what God has taught us and asked us as Christians. Um, Maybe this isn't enough to quite convince us or motivate us, though, to obey, right? We might be a little bit stubborn, and that's okay because Peter has more for us. Um, Peter explains further about our obedience to God. He says this. This is a tough one. God is holy, so you should be holy too. God is holy, you should be holy too. This is verse 15. I hear this, and I'm like, wait, what? God is holy, yes, I know that already. But me, (laughs) me, be holy? How is this going to work? Are you serious, Peter? Do you know me? What could this possibly look like? And yet he says it. So I I confess that whenever Scripture... uh, Tells this to us, right? God is holy, be holy too. Um, I feel the weight of it, and I feel convicted, which is probably a good thing. Because there's the idea that God is holy. He's separate from sin, right? He's without sin. Um, he, he, there's, there's no flaw in the person of God, period. But then I myself clearly am not perfect, And yet, Scripture calls us again and again uh, to be like a God who is. Um, And this idea of God's people being holy because he is, this goes way back. Uh, Peter is quoting from Leviticus, one of the oldest books in Scripture. And I'll read there uh, to show you uh, Leviticus 18. God speaks to Moses and he says this, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan, which I am bringing you to. Very interesting. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall not, uh, sorry, you shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. There has to be a family resemblance, right, between God our Father and his kids. He is holy, and thus Peter says all areas of our life are to be holy as well. Um, It's interesting to me, what verse was it in in Leviticus 3? You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan. To which I am bringing you, Canaan being the promised land, right? The, the, the place that God was leading his people for a very, very long time, but he promised to eventually take them to. I think many of us are, are waiting for a time or a place or a situation where a life of holiness would somehow fall on our laps or be provided for us in such a way that it's quite simple and easy and straightforward for us to do. And then, then I'll, be, then I'll live a life of holiness, right? When somehow, if I can just arrive to the, the place where it'll be um, more straightforward for me, then I'll do it. But in the meantime, I'm not really sure what it'll look like. God says, where you were before, you know, 
the culture and people around you were not holy and you weren't to be like them. Also, where I'm taking you, the people there will not live in the ways that I want you to live. And so if, if, any, if any of us today are waiting, um, you know, making excuses and waiting for tomorrow to be the day where we start to take this, this word seriously from Peter, I want to tell you that actually today is the day, right? It's not about um, going down the road into some far-off land where then we'll be able to be the, God, the, the people that God has called us to be. Peter says, do it now. God is holy. Be like him, okay? We're never going to come to a place where uh, we're no longer tempted by the world around us, right? We're, we'll never just be sucked up into space and escape from the, the realities of, of where we live. Do it now. I want to note, uh, returning to First Peter, as we carry through, uh, Peter says that we should conduct ourselves with fear. We should conduct ourselves with fear. That makes us feel awkward, doesn't it? When we hear that, especially in the New Testament, I think as Christians we love to think that fearing God and being afraid of, of God and his holiness, we read about that in the Old Testament often, but we think, well, you know, it's changed now because of Jesus. We don't have to, we don't have to live in fear. And, and there is some truth to that, right? We aren't supposed to um, <laughs> be afraid of God in, in a negative sense. But Peter says, conduct your lives with fear. We're afraid of fear, so I think we avoid this as Christians. We cringe at the thought of it. But the fear of the Lord is a good fear to have. Fearing God's punishment or his judgment on our behaviors is actually the correct basis that we should have fear or feel afraid. We are supposed to fear God instead of man, right? Um, one theologian, I loved what he said about this. He says, the fear of God is not cowardice. It drowns out all lower fears and begets true fortitude and courage, right? So that is to say, the fear of the Lord, uh, in, in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is beginning, the beginning of wisdom, so the fear of God doesn't mean that we live a life of fear where we're constantly feeling afraid, but we're actually compelled by the holiness that we're called to, to do that which we would be stopped from doing if we were afraid of, of man or, or of, of things happening to us or anything else, right? The fear of God, it drowns out all lower fears and it begets true fortitude and courage uh, to do the things that we're called to. So Peter's not necessarily calling Christians to be afraid of the eternal judgment of hell. You know, we're called to be confident in our salvation in Christ that Jesus has provided for us by his grace, but rather we are to fear um, the immediate sense where God is judging those who act um, in particular ways. Um, there are quite a few places even in the New Testament that describe this in more detail one is from Romans Romans 2 it says God will render to each one according to his works to those who by patience in well doing seek for the glory and honor and immortality he will give eternal life 
But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. A holy God calls for holiness. Uh, again, in Second Corinthians chapter 5, we read this. It says, So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Right? The time is now wherever we are. We make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Okay? Um, kind of continuing to talk about fear and uh, fear of God in the New Testament. Elsewhere, we observe that fearing God produces good things for his people. Church growth comes from it, supernatural blessing, and, and personal growth and holiness, which is what we've been talking about. These are all results of, of having a, a, a correct fear of a holy God. So when we downplay this or we, or we gloss over the idea of being afraid of God and, and his holiness and his judgment, um, then our willingness, I believe, to become like him ourselves is, is greatly decreased. Okay, so <clears throat> at the end of verse 17, Peter um, refers to us as exiles, which he did in the very beginning in one of the first verses of First Peter. He said that his readers are exiles. Uh, Christians are currently exiles in that we have not yet come home, right, to, to the eternal home that God has and will provide for us in the end. So as long as we carry on in the foreseeable future on earth and time as we know it, where Christ has not yet come back and restored his kingdom, we have the internal sense that something is incomplete and that we just aren't quite home yet. This is why Peter calls us exiles. So take heart, he says. Don't get off course. Don't live like you did when you were ignorant to God. Continue in the ways that are motivated by God's holiness and continue walking in the image of God that we have and the end that we will shine to others as well, okay? So in the last four verses of today's passage, he, um, I guess, comes full circle back. He reminds us, again, of the source, the reason for our hope, which is Christ, right? If we fear the Lord, our hope in him works alongside these two, and, and they become inseparable. The hope that we have and the fear of the Lord they don't work against each other at all. They're actually hand in hand as we go forward. He says, we have been ransomed. We've been ransomed by the blood of Jesus. We were hostage and we were ransomed with Jesus' blood. The precious blood of God incarnate was the payment which freed you and me from the slavery of sin and death and into eternal life. This is so good. Um, he compares it to silver and gold. Silver and gold, well, he doesn't compare it, but silver and gold represent the most precious resources, right? Basically, the most precious things on earth. And it's nothing compared to the precious blood of Christ. But by saying this, I think Peter hints at, by default, the value, uh, the, 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 the immensity of the value of each person that God has for you, for each one of us, right? How deeply uh, he loves us. This is what I see when he talks about this. I'll, I'll read it, um, 18 to 21. 
You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things. You weren't bought with money, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of the Lamb, without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but he was made manifest in the last time. So when he came to earth, he was manifest and he was made known to us for our sake. Verse 21, who through him are believers in God. God raised him from the dead and God gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. That's where our faith and hope should be. They should be in God. And that comes through Christ. I'm going to close in prayer before we have communion and a time of worship. The band can come up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are holy. God, we believe this. And so I ask that you would stir in each person here a desire, like I said, to live in such a way that, first of all, reflects you, God, that looks like our Heavenly Father, that uh, we would have a family resemblance, so that even people who don't know you when they see us would have a glimpse of who you are, God. And I ask you to reveal, Holy Spirit, to each one of us, convict us of the sin that is uh, holding us back or dragging us down or stopping us from being uh, sober-minded and alert, you know, to walk in these things. God, thank you for your grace that covers us as we turn to you now. God, I ask that each of us would feel your embrace of love today, that we would feel this and know that you are leading us to things of eternal value, God. Uh, you're leading us ultimately to your glory in Christ's revelation. God, we thank you now for the precious blood of your son Jesus, God, which cleanses us, makes us holy in your sight, even as we're in the process, Lord, of figuring these things out, uh, perhaps trudging forward, making mistakes and changing by your grace, God, I thank you that Jesus' blood is what saves us and makes us able and capable to know you, to stand before you and have a, have a right relationship with you, our Father, God. I praise you for sending Jesus for the sacrifice that he made as the perfect and final offering for our sin, Lord. Thank you. We praise you.